listening to the Continent of Resistance, a podcast with interviews and discussions on labor movements across Asia. Welcome back. This is part two of our conversation on grab and platform labor in Asia. I actually, you know, from from especially from to one piece, I think got me thinking a lot about similarities or differences across the context and what I saw from that piece. You know, to one. Well, not only to one piece. Actually, there's another piece from the Grab series published in the ALR, and that one is authored uh, by um, Arif Noviento, uh, who wrote about Indonesia. Right? It's um, unfortunately he cannot he cannot join this uh, roundtable episode. But you know, I think these two pieces kind of echo each other about two things. One is the wildcat strike. You know, like the rise in wildcat strike in both uh, contexts that have a lot of interesting features. But into one piece in particular, you know, talked about the success of social media campaigns. You know, that kind of successfully pushed forward that the shift of the VAT, right? That Tuan has been talking about. But I think that in that piece, you Tuan, you also kind of. Highlight the limitations of social media campaigns and the way in which writers are organizing by using social media as well uh, as the main as a main tool. I wonder if you know you can start. You can help us start this conversation by going a little bit deeper in uh, in in this crit- critiques of of social media campaigns or you know organizational challenges uh, in general that you see in Vietnam. Thanks, Jiet. Um, in terms of social media, um, can I go back to steps? So the reason why the, the the writers have to use social media, as we know, is that there's no independent union recognized in Vietnam. So that's the first point. Um, the second point is that their work basically is different to any other kind of work, like for example, manufacturing workers, because they don't have a physical meeting point. And so, therefore, social media provides them with that meeting point for them to connect and to chat and to inform and to organize street protests. So the writers can log on at the time of their choosing. They have the flexibility to do that. And so it is good for that. Uh, However, there are also negativities in regards to the use of social media. The first, I guess, is that because anyone can join that group, the organization can be disrupted by people who join not because they are your supporters, but because they join because they want to listen in to the conversation and to manipulate the direction of the conversations. And mm-hmm. so I think that's, um, that's the limitation to the news. Of social media. If I understand correctly, you mentioned, I think your piece at the end kind of called for the need to have in the independent, I don't know if I should use the term trade union or not, but in, independent movements for, for the writers, right? I, I wonder if you could, maybe if you have thoughts about the structure or, you know, you alluded to earlier about the, the physical space as well, maybe that that is also related to this issue. Mm. I guess, I, let me put it this way, the writers find it very difficult to organise themselves because of the nature of their employment activities. There's a few factors why it's hard to organise 
workers and create solidarity amongst the workers in Vietnam. The first reason is that there is a diversity of reasons and a diversity of, of people that choose to work as writers. So there are some educated people, but there's a lot of laborers as well. And so the disparity in education, for example, means that it's really hard for the workers to create a united voice and create a common mission for the organization of strikes uh, and so on to fight for their working conditions. The workers have different interests. However, they all want to be, to have better working conditions. Particularly in Vietnam, it's about paid. They all want to have a decent work for decent paid conditions. And so when we asked them whether they were interested in having a, a um, independent union representing them, the answer was yes, they wish to do so. Um, the problem in Vietnam is that the environment doesn't allow for that to arise unless and until the government ratified ILO's Convention 87 and 98, yeah. That's right. Yes, right. So unless until the government ratifies right of the riders to organize independent union, it will be very difficult for the workers to do so. Now, in the absence of that, what the workers have done is organize informal, if you like, unions. So they can't organize formal. They have to organize informals. So many of those informal unions are on social media. Yeah. The yeah. trouble is that the trouble is that most of those social media groups created for as a, for more social purposes rather than having a clear mission and clear agenda to fight for the, the working conditions or the interests of the group. Yeah. However, in Vietnam there are some groups that has been stronger. And so what's happening is that those groups that uh, have strong leaderships, right? What the platform companies have done, for example, what Grab has done is Grab has invited those groups to join them, to have an association with them. Mm. Yes. And so those groups have joined Grab and, and Grab has provided notional support to those groups in terms of like uh, giving workers some presents at Christmas time or something. At the same time, there are advantages for having an association with Grab in that there is a communication between the riders and, and Grab. So, so Grab and the riders would meet up once a month to hear about the issues concerning the, drive, concerning the riders. Now, what the leaders have told me is that prior to the pandemic, there was a working relationship. There was mutual respect uh, on both sides. But after the pandemic, with the downturn in the economy and with the oversupplies of riders on the street working, that working relationship has totally broken down. And so the face-to-face -face meeting 
has been canceled. Instead, it's now met uh, online only. Right, uh, right. But more importantly, the outcome of those meetings have deteriorated because the leaders have told me that Grab is no longer interested in hearing or in, in resolving their concerns. Right. Yes. And so it's, it's clear now that the power shift, there's a, a clear power shift because of the downturn of the economy uh, right. towards the platform company. And that kind of organizational structure is not working either. Right, um, right. Yes. And so there needs to be a new way of organizing and of and of a struggle between the riders and the platform economy. Yeah, I think what you're saying is really helpful, Tom, in terms of your assessment of the organizational structure and, and form. Because I think for many writers in different countries, you know, they're exploring, they're obviously there are political constraints, but there are also other kinds of constraints. And so that workers are exploring different forms, right? Whether it's social media, informal, structural mutual aid, or in some places, unions are, independent unions are allowed, they may decide to form a union. I, I, w- I want to ask also Reza this question about organizational structure. What kind of organizational structures do the writers in Indonesia have adopted? And also, you know, just like Tom, what's your assessment of the, the success or challenges of uh, such organizational form? Okay. The structure of organization in here is such like a community. And then the establishment of the community is closely related to organizational culture of the people in it. Some of community established with a motorcycle gang culture, and then they will apply a violent effort to carrying, carrying action when they having some problem, such as riding a traditional driver who are in conflict with online driver. And then there are a voluntary culture make the community heavily involved in a rapid response efforts, such as escorting ambulance, helping co-worker who have accident, and some community organizer who had previously been involved in labor union factory, when they want to push the community to establish a labor union. So, and... Because the only image of the union in Indonesia is only manufacturing union. So in effect, the work system of the food industry is a different. Of course, with it will create problems such as a fluid a non-permanent member, flexible flexible work location, and another. Uh, but uh, the more important is the principle and the value of the resistance in the labor union that, uh, I mean, we should su- support and disseminate among the driver community. And for the challenge itself, first, the biggest challenge for an organizing is in the midst of declining working condition. For drivers, some community organizers find it difficult to find order and even only get order only two times a day. So it's the probably the major uh, biggest challenge uh, mm. and then we find to the large driver community is still dominated by a community created secretly by the applicator 
they 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 created this to prevent uprising protests in other community. And then we found the the fluid membership structure within the community. I mean the information is easily leaked when planning a protest, such as a spy from the applicator or from the local police. Uh, so because they are very fluid membership in the community. Uh, uh, and now uh, some community are in process of, to uh, form a union, uh, including they conducting hearing with uh, manpower office. Uh, and in the midst of this legal vacuum, I mean, there are no, there are no legal about can the driver or can the driver online make a union? This is very important to us to see how the go- the government, such as manpower office, to respond this thing. I mean, if they don't want to, you cannot do. It, you can establish a union because your partnership is. It would be interested to to the the movement in here. So we we still waiting. Some of communities already letters uh, letter and want to hearing with the manpower office. So that is in, in from Indonesia. Great, that that's really helpful. And you know, Kyung, I, I wonder how the situation in Thailand sits in relation to you know that of Indonesia and Vietnam. And I also want to maybe add a little bit more to to my question to you, which is leadership. You know, in your peaceful AR, you wrote the profiles of two women leaders, and then I encourage people to check out that that article, which is really fascinating. Looking to the 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 experiences of these two two women leaders. So, can you also tell us a little bit more about? The role of leadership and, and gender, and the, especially uh, the role of very strong uh, women uh, in the leadership. Yes, sure. Yeah, but to add on in terms of the the challenges that Reza and, and Tuan already talked about, I think it's for me it's really similar to what Reza said, right? The forms of organizations in Thailand that I saw that we've seen in Thailand is really similar. Like, you know that when Reza talk about like you know the gang culture. Also, or another form that is more like mutual aid, they're pretty, pretty similar, you know. And for me, one of the main challenges they're facing revolved around, you know, if they want to move forward, you know, how to shift away from virtual support or virtual memberships that Twent mentioned and to recruit members beyond volunteer-based mutual aid efforts. And I think in a lot of groups that we have seen, there's that kind of dynamic that you know, of, of male dominance or personality cults, you know, emerging because, you know, because the group started as a response to like to traditional motorcycle taxi as a form of self-protection, right? Um, so that is one major challenge that we see. But with that said, I think personally, I don't think all the groups are like that, right? So there are groups that, you know, that express eagerness to kind of come together as as a coalition or to become like a unified movement, even though, you know, it takes a lot of work to go into that direction. And there are some hurdles or obstacles that we've seen. But I, I want to shift uh, gear to the question of leadership that you asked, which is, for me, a really important issue that, I think that's the reason why I I wrote the, that piece uh, like that. I think for us, for researchers or activists working with these groups of 
riders and couriers, we know the transport and logistics sector have predominantly male presence, right? So when I did the research on food delivery riders in Thailand, you know, we actually interviewed all men workers. After that project, you know, I have a little bit of reflection and we shifted our research to the next project. After that, we focus on platform-based care work, which is mainly you know, associated with, with women. So this shift actually has exposed me to a range of insights into workers' experiences and different challenges that they face, especially in organizing. So with the insights or with the learning from, from that research, it kind of informed me in the way that I look at food delivery or transport and logistics in a different way. So later, when I shift back to focus on capacity building and later organizing the riders, we actually we pay a lot of attention to women riders. And right now, you can say that we're paying only particular attention to, to women leadership empowerment. And for me, I think because of the patriarchy, because of the gender norms that we that we have seen it's you know it's kind of weird to say that actually women are better leaders <laughs> but for me I, I what what we see is women writers or women workers have more inclination to what you know the the essential work of building a grounded uh and more cohesive movement right that's the reason i i, I wrote about that i want to highlight that because in in the male dominated sector or movement it's Often the the women who are doing important work are kind of overlooked or ignored. So I think the nature of organizing work, especially with the new sectors like this, demands that kind of deep understanding and sensitivity to diverse perspectives. So and women are doing so much better than men. And I've seen in in the groups that we we work with, women leaders play a really important role in, in you know driving progress uh, in the local context although you know as we when we talk about the na- national context it's kind of as i mentioned earlier they kind of reach some roadblocks when you know the the men are the one on top of the organizations right right that's great tong and Risa, do you want to respond or comment on this kind of the, the gender dynamics in, in organizing in, in vietnam and indonesia yeah, that is a really interesting point. In Vietnam, I struggle as well. We struggle as a group to find, to interview women writers at the time that we did the survey in 2019. Um, but since then, we've been able to contact some of the women writers. In Vietnam at the moment, there's not a lot of representation from the from the female sex in terms of leadership positions within the writers' groups. I think if I uh, remember correctly, there was only one woman in who who's been appointed as the leader of twenty four uh, of the uh, informal union that I have mentioned earlier. Yes, so I was able to speak to her on a number of occasions. She she was in terms of the qualities that women possess uh, as leaders. I totally agreed with. So she was very good at organizing writers in her groups and how to, her her objective basically was to ensure that those writers 
were able to earn the most amount of income each day that they buy. So her objective was the daily business of earning money. So she was really good at in that aspect. So she shared her experience and 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 so on to those writers. But in terms of the making uh, representations to the authorities or building up the the coalition um, of um, writers throughout the country, um, I don't. I haven't seen that in Vietnam uh, at this stage. Yes. Um, can I just make the point that um, the um, the leaders, from what I know, have been or do keep contact with one another. From Ho Chi Minh City, for example, those leaders meet up quite often and the leaders also meet up with their their peers in the middle of Vietnam, so in Hue or Danan, for example. Yes. Mm. So increasingly, I think that they realise that they needed to present a united voice and needed to join up with one another in order to build a stronger voice, a national voice, in demanding better working rights for, for, their, for the riders in general. Thanks, Riza. Thanks, Tong. Uh, Riza, do, do you have a response on the gender dynamics? Uh, I think in Indonesia, when many of the, the, the women driver, I mean, this is the type of the work is very formal. I mean, the, the drivers online, this work. I mean, uh, so in Indonesia, many of the female only choosing not, not to drive to for passengers, but many of them using to deliver food. So many of driver women not activating for the passenger, but many of them is uh, delivering food for the for the work for the daily. We see too when the community helping a driver woman to such a such they want to. If do you going to the going to the night, you can share live location in the all group or group in the WhatsApp group. So we can monitoring where you're going. And if you happen some of not only accident, uh, sexual assault, we can help them. So that community take care of the, uh, the woman member of community for the leader leadering. I mean, we found one of the community. I mean, in, she's in the Sukhabumi. The background is before his, uh, as a driver, he was a union member before in the Sukabumi. I forgot what the factory was. I mean, he's very vocal and very active in uh, many of learning for women. She's the leader of the community right now. One month ago, I mean, if she, she helped, she not only talk about their working condition too, but she solidarity with another people in Sukabumi who has been protest with the education policy about uh, about schooling. Uh, so they mobilize with some probably four or five five drivers to going uh, solidarity in the protest because she 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 have a child that they 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 need they need to protest that. So I mean it's very different. We, if you have a leader from the woman, we can see it uh, from when we. When with another community, with the leader, with the male leader, we see the difference in there is they much more focal and more flexible in many ways. And when we try to make some writing class, I mean, uh, she's actively want to ask to join. It's not many community driver. We have been work with the learning forum. 
want to join the writing class, but she's uh, participate. I want to learn about writing. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's the the difference between the, the male leader and the woman leader. I mean, we found it in some of our learning learning forum in this year. You're listening to the Continent of Resistance. I actually think, you know, from listening from you, I think remind me a lot of issues, gender issues within unions or labor activism that I that I come across. But I don't yeah, because we maybe we don't have a lot of time to delve into other issues that, you know, you actually mentioned, but they're really really important uh, important issues that yeah, that we should talk about if we have time. So I I just want to ask Tuan and Reza maybe with Tuan first about the prospect of of writers or organized groups of writers and couriers bargaining or negotiating directly with with the platforms actually Tuan touched upon this issue earlier uh, but I really wonder what I want to ask if what you think about the idea of you know workers or writers sitting down and, and negotiating with platforms is it something that you think realistic or something that far-fetched something that is possible or not in your view starting with one thanks Kiet. as i mentioned before i think it's far-fetched having spoken to the leaders and his experience in interacting with the with grab as um, he mentioned to me grab has a change of leaderships in the last few years and it used to be run by a Vietnamese leader, uh, a woman leader as well. And she had a more consensual, consensus approach towards listening to the writers and, and seeking to find solutions that benefits both the writers and the company. But those communication channels have really now been closed off by Grab, and the drivers are left to fend by themselves. And according to the leader, Grab is not hesitant in rejecting the concern of the drivers. And when he raised the issues about the way that Grab was shifting the burden of the BIT to the driver, to, to the riders, and questioned the way that Grab calculated the amount that was paid to the drivers, to the riders after changes to the um, DBIT rate, Grab actually refuses to give him an answer to his question. So it's clear from his perspective that Grab is now not interested in receiving and acting on the driver's grievance. So I think it's a fair-fetched idea that in the current in the current dynamic of the economy where supply exceeds demand, that we can have a situation of equal bargaining power between the riders and Grab. 
Yeah. What about in the near future? In the near future, it's more positive. Um, I think that in the near future, the government is is hopefully will will take on the advice and also the obligations. So Vietnam and the EU has entered into a trade agreement called the EVFTA. Yep. And that agreement, embedded within that agreement, is the commitment by Vietnam to ratify the remaining ILL conventions, which will include Convention 87 on the freedom of association. So hopefully Vietnam has the government has been, you know, promising to to do so, but so far have not implemented it, have not ratified it. But with with uh, international pressure, and also uh, hopefully that will arise. Uh, there will be a, a day when Vietnam will ratify the convention. But the question then will be: Well, after they ratified the convention, how will they implement? Or, or develop the laws in relation to freedom of association. What kind of power would they give to to those independent union that right. are allowed to? Yeah, because at the moment, as we know, laws are already in place which allows for the establishment of workers' representative organization. But in reality, um, those workers' uh, organizations, representative organization, has really. Uh, limited power and and it's unclear what kind of power they actually have um and they haven't been effective at all in um in representing the workers in representing writers yep but i all think right. I, I finish on this final notion that is um that is at some point in time the platform companies and the writers will need to come together to strike a balance between the different interests because at some point in time, there will be a point in time in which the writers will be fed up with the treatment by the platform company, and they will organize some protests, um, whether it's street protests or whether it's other kind of resistance, like, you know, organizing, um, uh, locking off the applications, for example. Um, um, uh, it, it will happen, and the platform company will realize that each needs the other as well. At the moment, a lot of the drug values are disenchanted and left the sector already. So it could be that in the future, there might be a, sh- a shortage of values again. And in that case, the power, the power dynamic, dynamic might shift towards the rider a bit more. Yes. Right, right. So yeah, just, you know, hearing the, this entire conversation, you know, it's really um, interesting just, again, to, to hear the similarities and differences and, and the different aspects, right, uh, from um, the, the the government's response or the uh, how workers organize their, their organizational structure, etc. Maybe I want to end this conversation with a question for everyone. How, what kind of sharing and exchange of experiences and strategy from you know, for example, from groups in other countries, do you think will be helpful to you? Let's say that you know, if we do a exchange between uh, writers group in Thailand and say in Indonesia, uh, what will be 
some of the topics that you think, oh, it would be great to dive into. Maybe let me start with Reza first. Okay. I mean, it's important to learn from other countries because probably we don't have any imagination. I mean, community doesn't, doesn't have any imagination because this is something probably new in Indonesia in 2010, this labor form. I mean, it's important to learn from countries that are quite successful in this issue. We know such as UK Uber case, I mean, that's a good case that can be disseminating. And uh, something and another progress such as collective bargaining with South Korean by Min Raiders. I think that's a quite success story that su- success story that can be shared to probably impact of our community uh, in Thailand, Vietnam, or Indonesia. We, we can learn how the both external advocacy in order to influence policy to the most to the most important how to internal strengthening the organization to fight back because we know not if we see overcast we are not only seeing about how they win in the court but how they strengthening the the organization it's I mean it's important thing to we have to learn mm. and then we have a a solidarity between driver across country can be done by recognizing each other problem and we can speak each other other problem i mean in this digitalization era solidarity mm-hmm. across country can be done through mobile phone social joint petition solidarity video or even solidarity poster that are made by driver community itself and probably right. and distribute and their respective social media i think that's my imagination about exchange and solidarity between yeah. across country Thanks. Kian, what about you? I totally agree with everything Reza said. I just want to add that, well, recently, actually, just Economy and Labor Institute and Ellipse that I and Reza work at have, you know, consistently facilitated the, the sharing and exchange between Thai and Indonesian writers. I think we have started a couple of months ago and it's, you know, it's a great space for writers to get inspired, you know, but we, we are aware that facilitating conversation between writers is not easy, right? There's language barriers and writers face obstacles and, you know, accessing internet and they work long hours, but we, but personally, I see that they are really inspired by the experience of talking to writers somewhere else. Right, it is. It's a great step toward solidarity building, as as Risa, uh, said. And well, you know, if the situations, you know, they're working with Grab and Grab is regional situations that they're facing are pretty similar. And I think the it's it is one way to build a stronger movement. You know, if we if we build this solidarity across across borders, across across contexts, and yeah, they would benefit. From learning, especially I would say in strategic organizing or effective bargaining strategies that writers from different places have implemented or crafted. Yeah. Great. And last but not least, Tom, what do you think in terms of exchange and sharing? What, what sort of things will be useful? Yeah. I totally agree with um, Lars and Kian on this point. Um, I think Vietnamese writers just don't have the um, experience uh, of organizing um, among themselves. Um, and so it'd be great to understand what other writers in, in other countries are, are doing and learning from their experience, how to 
organize and how to um, organize them into a unit so that they can have more effective bargaining um, powers against the platform companies. I think it would be uh, beneficial for the riders to come together in order to share their experience as to what kind of regulation is or should be advocated because at the moment there are academic writings uh, that says that we should follow the UK approach or we should create a new a new categories of workers but those research um, have not been proven by evidence and so it'd be great if um, there is a forum in which the workers and their leaders can come together and really discuss those issues and and find out actual evidence so that they can advocate better for their rights. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Th- thank you uh, once again, everyone, Kiang, Tong, and uh, Riza for this very rich conversation. And I feel like there ha- there are so many things that we can just talk for much longer, but let, let's end the conversation here. And definitely we are uh, looking forward to, you know, speaking with you and working with you uh, and publishing work in the future so that we can have more uh, action, just not on, only within individual countries, but also uh, across different different countries and regions so that we can, you know, m- uh, uh, strengthen both of our own organizing but also maybe you know build toward more international solidarity as well so thank you uh, everyone for joining us thank you thank you thank you everyone okay Okay, bye-bye thanks so much all right Hi, Kevin. I think, yeah, now we are getting into the the last segment, which is cohort discussions. And I know that you have been traveling a little bit in the past weeks. And, you know, you told me that you went to Apala Conference or Asia-Pacific American Labor Alliance Conference. So can you tell me a little bit about or our listeners about what it is and your experience? Yeah, uh, thanks, Kian. So I was at uh, the Apala conference uh, in Seattle in in the past uh, over the past weekend. So Apala, just to uh, to explain a little bit, is a um, uh, organization um, of Asian Pacific American Union activist organizers. It was I think it was founded in the nineteen nineties by Asian American union organizers and radicals who were, you know, many of whom were radicalized in the 1960s and 70s. And I think they 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 identified a need to gather uh, around, you know, Asian American, Asian uh, Pacific American union organizers to focus on some of the issues that Asian Americans face, you know, in jobs. You know, what's interesting about the conference to me is the the, the diversity of like for example sectors and issues Asian American organizers have been working on and I think that's also has a lot to do with the successive waves of immigration from Asia right from 
early on from, from China in the 19th century, Japanese immigration, later on, you know, a lot more Korean and Southeast Asians in the 70s. So with the successive waves of immigrants to the U.S., and many face a lot of discrimination right. and exclusion. But many of them, yeah, start working at some of the lowest paying jobs, right? right. Um, so, so there is a quite interesting story of, of Asians coming to the U.S. And, and organizing. And I think it's great to have an organization that preserves some of the, both the history but also support current organizing efforts by, right. by Asian Americans. Right. So what were the, um, the topics that you guys talked about or discussed during the three days conference, for example? Yeah, so so there was quite a variety of topics and you know there are so many panels and mm. I, I couldn't get to all of them, obviously. Right. But I, I think one, actually one thing that, well, a couple of things very quickly. One is, I think the what's interesting is again to me is is the history. It's kind of the you know in the U.S. context, it's sort of a little bit hidden. I think a lot of people know about the the Chinese uh, right. immigrant workers working on railways and uh, in the gold rush in, in minings. Right. But you know, we may also have heard about like you know the the sort of Asian nail salon workers in, in Chinatown and, and right. all that. But there's also a very interesting history of of organizing, of resisting and striking for rights. And I think that sometimes is either kind of sidelined or marginalized. So that's one thing that I really found interesting. Right. So can you give us a little bit of examples of the sectors that were highlighted? Yeah, so... So or represented by Asian, Asian American, Asian Pacific Americans participants. Yeah, so there are quite varieties. You know, a lot of teachers, yeah. a lot of obviously service sector workers, hotel workers, and also healthcare. Maybe I, I should right. highlight this because I also been reading more on, on this history of Philippine nurses in right. the U.S. So right. the Philippines was for a while a colony of the US at toward the end of 19th centuries and early 20th century. And well this is quite a long history, but there there was a a, a, a sort of influx of um Philippine nurses to the US over the last few decades. And they actually they they were the people who are at the front line of the the fight against the coronavirus, the pandemic since 2020. And actually suffered, obviously, when especially at the beginning when there was no vaccination. But they also the same people who suffered a lot of racism as well against Asians, Americans in the U.S. So I think I want to highlight both the, you know, obviously the diversity of sectors and, but also, you know, the discrimination many, many face on their job. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that the, there were a lot of Filipino um, nurses from the past and up until now. Yeah. That's really, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and also there, there was a delegation of union leaders and organizers from, from Asia as well this time. So it was also good to meet some of them uh, at the conference to hear about their work. Right. And you told me that you actually participated in, in some of the discussion with 
with the delegate, between the delegates and the APALA and the U.S. groups. Are there anything that you want to share with us, something you want to highlight, any key issues that you, uh, for you as a takeaway? Right, right. I think I want to maybe just focus on one one thing because I think it highlights something that is broader. So the one thing that I want to briefly mention is, so we have delegates from Sri Lanka. And so one of the things that, that uh, they mentioned is the uh, labor reform uh, that is happening right now in, in the country. So maybe I should briefly back up uh, to just say, you know, for listeners who may not have followed, there has there has been a, a really a catastrophe in Sri Lanka in terms of economic conditions and and society. There was uh, Sri Lanka experienced a huge amount of inflation, kind of economic breakdown, uh, and accumulated a huge amount of uh, debt last year. And there have been a lot of protests by by the public since last year. And as part of the you know trying to get getting themselves out of the crisis, Sri Lanka government took out a lot of loans from IMF, the International right. Monetary Fund. And as part of the, the package, they need to implement austerity measures, cutting down you know social spendings and make reforms and all that. But one of the, the other things that the government in Sri Lanka has been doing is to reform labor laws. Mm-hmm. But what really it does is is to weaken labor protection, and and you actually see this I think across the region, right? We also have the right. job creation law in Indonesia, right? And we can also point to other examples where governments around Asia are implementing policies to further weaken labor uh, protection. So yeah, so I, I got connected to one union leader in Sri Lanka and, and just did an interview over Zoom about the situation there. So we should be able to publish a interview, a written interview soon on this topic. Excellent. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to reading this interview. So yeah, thanks so um, much. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and, and your experience with us, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Continent of Resistance podcast. You can download our latest episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also visit our website at laborreview.org. See you until next time.